0: I want to say good morning to you all. It is certainly a blessed opportunity to once again be in the house of the Lord amongst the saints who have put on their mindset to assemble, to worship our God in spirit and in truth. As we conclude our theme for this month, we understand that we have been looking and Looking into the theme of Thanksgiving, certainly not the man-made form of it, but how we ought to be living our lives as Christians, if you think a little bit back with me on this month and where we've been, we did the study of the psalmists, specifically in the 106th division, In the 136th division, where many times over again, you see the psalmist would say, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Isn't it so? When we think about our lives, when we think about the gift of grace that has been given to us in Christ Jesus, we can certainly think about the eternal mercies that God has declared unto us. The next section was the sacrifice of thanks where we discuss how we ought to offer continually looking in the book of Hebrews, the 13th chapter at verse 15 and 16, that the sacrifice and the fruit of our lips through those things, we can offer up a sacrifice of praise to God continually. We when we put into proper perspective What we are doing here on this earth, what we are doing from day to day, how we ought to worship and sacrifice unto the Lord. We can never lose sight of the mindset of Thanksgiving. We moved on into the next week talking about what is thankworthy. What is thankworthy when Peter would say in first Peter, the second chapter, at verse 19, making reference to how we endure grief. How we would even suffer wrongfully, just like our example in Christ Jesus. How this is thankworthy. In other words, this is gracious. In other words, we're living lives acceptable unto God if we're able to endure grief for a moment. If we're able to suffer for doing or for well doing. It's very important because when we look at the example of Christ Jesus, we understand that he wasn't suffering for anything that he did. But rather, he was suffering for all the sins of the world. We've been spending a great deal of time in the book of Romans. Right now, we've just concluded in our Bible study for those that are following long Romans, the fifth chapter, where Paul is explaining how sin would enter into the world. He's explaining even the consequence that would go to all mankind for the disobedience of one man. But we look at the flip side who Adam, which was a figure of him to come, being Christ Jesus, how just sin entering into the world by one man through his disobedience, we see that through the obedience of one, that man, Christ Jesus, that sin was, or rather the gift of grace and the gift of eternal life, had also entered into the world. As we as Christians, looking at Christ Jesus, seeing him suffering on that cross, being able to Think about the tribulation in our own lives that Paul would explain in Romans, the fifth chapter at verse three, how we ought to glory not only in the gift of grace that was given to us, the access by faith that we have in Christ Jesus. But we ought to glory in those tribulations because those tribulations would indeed work patience, that patience experience and that experience hope that hope is so important for us to never lose sight of because it's the hope of eternal life. That once we put on Christ Jesus, we have that hope so long as we continue to be faithful until the end. We talked about what is thankworthy. We spent a great deal of time in the next week discussing our thanksgiving in Christ Jesus. Certainly, we have thanksgiving that we ought to offer God, not only every time we sit down to be able to partake of meat, according to 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, but thanksgiving in our daily lives, understanding what God has done for us. Then we spent a greater deal of time in the negative talking about the unthankful. You might remember in Romans, the first chapter at about verse 20, at about verse 20 and following on how individuals, when they knew God, they did not glorify God. They did not glorify him as God. And neither were they thankful. The mindset of society, how you see the world living in whatever way they want to live. How you see individuals so wrapped up into covetousness, see individuals wrapped up into idolatry, see individuals wrapped up into all things that fall short of the glory of God, even relishing in them, even taking pride in them. You simply see that according to Romans, the first chapter, these individuals did not glorify God, neither were they thankful. Talk about a slippery slope in our lives. Talk about. Where that could lead individuals to everlasting destruction for individuals that do not recognize God for who he is and do not glorify him or give thanks unto him. That brings us into today when we're going to talk about today, our giving of thanks, specifically about how our giving of thanks can be received by other individuals. But let's set a bit of background on this when we talk about our giving of thanks Thank the brother for reading that scripture. We're going to get to the book of Colossians, the first chapter here momentarily. But when we think about the giving of thanks, perhaps we piggyback off of the discussion of the unthankful. I remember that man, Christ Jesus, over in the book of Luke, the 17th chapter. If you turn there really quickly with me, the book of Luke, the 17th chapter, you may remember when Christ is discussing with his disciples Who in such a humble fashion would turn to him in verse 5 and say, Lord, increase our faith. Christ is talking to his apostles, explaining to them how they ought to increase their faith. You may remember in the mindset of the servant, he says in verse number 7, pertaining to lords and servants, he says, which of you in Luke 17, which of you having a servant Plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet. Will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. In verse nine, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were that he were commanded to do? He says, I trow not. So likewise, you. When you shall have done all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have simply done that which was our duty to do. I believe Christ Jesus, in response to his apostles asking for the increase of faith, he's explaining the mindset. He's explaining the humility. He's explaining the proper perspective that we ought to have in Christianity when we are simply putting our hands to the plow to do what is our very duty. We don't need a pat on the back for doing what we're supposed to do. We don't need a pat of, on the back for our attendance. We don't need a pat on the back for how we care for our brother and sisters in Christ Jesus. We simply need to have the mindset of this is our very duty. But going and picking back and going on the unthankful, let's look at the following verses. When Christ is dealing with those 10 lepers, don't you remember when Christ was going through in the midst of Samaria and Galilee? He would enter into that certain village and there were 10 lepers. There were 10 lepers there. I'm in Luke, the 17th chapter verses 11 through 19. There were 10 lepers there that were looking at Christ Jesus, understanding his healing power, understanding who he was. They would call out to him, Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Understanding that they were dealing with this leprosy, they were dealing with this plague, and they wanted to be remitted of that plague. Nevertheless, Christ Jesus would say, go and show the priest, show yourselves to these priests. As they went along the way, after the word, they were cleansed. But look at this. In the context, I believe that Christ is dealing with a Jewish audience. Else why would he tell them to go and show themselves to the priests? Nevertheless, we know at least one of those men in Luke, the 17th chapter, at least one of those men was a Samaritan. This was the only man that went along the way, stopped and saw himself cleansed after he had asked and requested of the Messiah to be cleansed. He went his way and this only Samaritan turned. He turned back. He went to Christ. He fell down and he glorified God and he gave thanks unto him because he was cleansed of his leprosy. Where were the other nine? We need to be careful, Christians, that we're not so entitled in our walk. That we're not so entitled as if it was anything that we've done to obtain this grace and this mercy. But rather it was what God had done for us. Don't you remember what Romans the fifth chapter would say? While we were yet without strength, in time Christ died for us. Nevertheless, we see and we put our mindset in that man, that Samaritan man. You might remember the history of Samaria. You might even remember in John the fourth chapter when Jesus was speaking to that Samaritan woman. Explaining to her that they don't know what they worship, that we or rather God is seeking for true worshipers to worship in spirit and truth. But in the context, the Jews worship here in Jerusalem because they know what they worship for. Salvation is of the Jews. He's explaining to this very Samaritan woman that you are worshiping over yonder and you don't know what you worship. But look at this Samaritan man that was healed from his leprosy. He was able to humble himself He was able to not be so entitled as to think that he was supposed to be healed and supposed to be cleansed. He took the proper time to glorify God in his cleansing and turn back to Christ Jesus. We need to have that mindset every single day. We need to not take for granted all of those things that we have in our lives. Which of you have gone a day without food? Which of you have gone a day without clothes being on your back, without shelter, without the proper health? We thank God for the provisions that he has given us, even through the natural healing processes of our very bodies. But nevertheless, we ought not to lose sight. We ought not to lose sight of what we can be thankful for on the daily. We need to spend the proper time focusing, meditating on God's word to be able to be thankful to him. We shouldn't let the world, much like perhaps these Jews and the Samaritan, these lepers, we need not to let the world outthank us or outthank us when it comes to what God has done for us. Not saying it's any competition, but we need not to be like those individuals who went away, not rejoicing, not properly glorifying God. I think about the giving of thanks when it comes to God's provision for his people, God's care and concern for his people. And I think all the way back to the Old Testament. Specifically in the book of Ezra, in the time of uh, the children of Israel returning from that captivity in Babylon, returning to their homeland, returning to Jerusalem. And I think about this man, Ezra, and I think about this, this priest. And you might think all the way back in the book of Ezra, what was transpiring in Ezra, the third chapter. When these individuals, we cited this before, were individuals were coming together to rebuild the foundation of the Lord. I think about there in Ezra the third chapter, looking there at around verse number ten, these individuals coming together in Jerusalem according to verse one, all the children of Israel that were in cities, these people were gathered themselves together as one man in Jerusalem. But you see, as they went on, what was happening after the sacrifices were being reinstituted after the foundation of the Lord, according to uh, what the Cyrus, the Persian, according to verse seven, had decreed so that the temple could then be rebuilt. Look at the mindset of these people. In verse 10 of Ezra chapter three, it says when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set up priests in their apparel with trumpets, the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, the king of Israel. They sang together by course and praising and gave and giving thanks unto the Lord. It says, For he is good, and his mercy endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. In Christ, do we have this mindset? I think about What Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, specifically at verse number 10, when he calls himself a wise master builder, how he has laid the foundation. He then goes and explains, can no other foundation can any man lay than that, which is Christ Jesus. We see that same point given in Galatians, the first chapter at verse six through eight, that there is no other gospel. We see that anybody that preaches another gospel is a curse. But nevertheless, just like Ezra, just like the people of Israel around this time, as those individuals were laying the foundation of the Lord, these people glorified and they gave thanks. They sang and they praised the Lord. When we hear the Bible rightfully divided, when we hear the Bible handled correctly, when we hear the foundation of Christ Jesus being laid properly through sermonic discourse, much like what Paul was doing as a wise master builder, do we have the same mindset? Do we give thanks unto the Lord that we could be at a place where people regard the word of God correctly? I think about perhaps being an audience just like those Galatians I remember what Paul was saying of those Galatians saying who before your eyes was Jesus Christ evidently or set forth crucified among you. Thinking about those Galatians that were nowhere near Calvary's cross, but the way that Paul would preach the way that Paul would explain being that wise master builder. I think, man, what it would be like just to hear one of his sermons, just to hear the wonderful works of God being preached by he or any of the other apostles. Being able to glorify God. As we think about that man Ezra in a different context, we look now in the book of Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah, the eighth chapter. Hopefully going somewhere this morning. But in Nehemiah, the eighth chapter, again, Nehemiah being a contemporary of Ezra, as the foundation was already laid. Now, the walls around Jerusalem being erected, the temple being restored. But let's remember, When Ezra the scribe in Nehemiah, the eighth chapter, as all the people gathered themselves together again as one man, they spake unto Ezra the scribe in verse one to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both to men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day in the seventh month. He read therein, therefore, or before the street, That was before the water gate in the morning or from morning until midday before the men and the women and all those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attended to the book of the law. This is Ezra simply reading out of the book of the law, explaining where the children of Israel had gone wrong, explaining where they had missed the mark, explaining how they needed to revert back to their old ways that the Lord had given them in the Mosaic law. But nevertheless, when we see this dropping down to verse six, or verse 5 rather, Ezra opened up the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And we, when he opened it, and all the people stood up, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. With the lifting up of their hands, they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Look at the beauty of this. You see all the priests with him, the Levites with him. They caused the people to understand the law, and they stood in their place. In verse 8, it says, When they read the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Look at that. We see here Ezra not only giving the book of the law, but he's giving the sense. He's giving the meaning. He's reading out of the law distinctly. We see in the very context when the people were understanding this, they said, Amen. They said, Amen. In other words, let it be so. Do we have that mindset? Not that mindset of entitlement, that we're so entitled to all of God's blessings that we just need to be given and served in such a sense. But we do. We have the mindset to be able to look in the word of God, to look in it distinctly when the man of God is giving the sense of the book distinctly. Do we have the mindset of thanks? Do we have the mindset to be able to come together as one man, to be able to hear the word of the Lord? Not so entitled as if we need to be healed any other day, or we need to be fed to the full, or we need to be clothed with so many clothes in our closets. But the mindset to be thankful, giving the proper thanks unto God and the Father, humbling ourselves like that Samaritan man who was not entitled to any of the Lord's blessings, but he received them and he went back to the Lord to give thanks. Nevertheless, when we think about our giving of thanks and the effect that we can have on others We need to be familiar with what the Bible would say about that very point. You might remember in the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, people together in the context of worship. You might remember that it was important that Paul is showing the parameters, specifically in the context of spiritual gifts. How that when it comes to tongues and speaking different languages in the first century, these gifts given by the Holy Spirit. That Paul would show the proper parameters for this worship and for this giving of thanks. If you look at 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, we're not losing mind or losing uh, from mind the effect of our giving of thanks. You might remember when Paul is discussing all of these various gifts, these spiritual gifts, he explains something that's very, very important. In 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter Again, you may remember in verse 14, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. In other words, he's saying he's praying in the spirit in a different language, but those that hear him can't understand him because they don't speak the same language. Therefore, the understanding is unfruitful and that's not what he wants. says in verse 15, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and sing with the understanding also. But look at verse 16 of our effect, of our giving of thanks, if done properly. In verse 16, it says, else when you bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned, perhaps unbelievers, perhaps new babes in Christ? How shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks Seeing that he understand not what thou sayest. The point is we want people to say, let it be so. Just as they said in Nehemiah, the eighth chapter at verse six, the people all together said amen when they understood distinctly the word of God. Just in the New Testament, we see that true. This Paul, this wise master builder, according to Acts, the second chapter that the other apostles in verse 11 were speaking the wonderful works of God. When Paul explaining the foundation that needs to be laid, that foundation that no other man can lay, that foundation of Christ, that foundation of Christ in him crucified in the very previous chapter in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2. That's what he determined for people to know. But nevertheless, when we're coming together and we're giving our sacrifice of praise and our giving of thanks, he that occupies the, unru- the learn or the room of the unlearned ought to be able to say amen, ought to be able to. Be able to glorify God just as that Samaritan was able to do as well. The effect of our giving of thanks is very, very important, church. We need not to take it frivolously. We need not to take it lightly. We need not to do it with a way that's haphazard. But we need to do it distinctly. Giving the proper sense of what God wants for mankind. That takes us to what we read earlier in the book of Colossians. In the book of Colossians, the brother read to you just a moment ago. But we think about all of the magnificent points that Paul is bringing out in Colossians, the first chapter. But you may remember in verse nine, it's for this cause. Also, since today we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. There's that understanding a point again, it's that understanding point that Nehemiah and Ezra were very vested in. All the way back in that book. It's the understanding point that Paul's bringing out in First Corinthians 14 at verse 16. So that we can say amen. But nevertheless in verse 10. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Bringing, being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthening with all might according to his glorious power. Unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. That we ought to give thanks unto the Father. Why? It wasn't just food. It wasn't just Clothing. But it goes more back to the foundational points, the foundational points that or excuse me, that Paul was laying. Paul was laying, making reference to that man, Jesus Christ. We give thanks unto the father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. Saints, we have an inheritance. Make no mistake about it. What more so should we be thankful to God for? I don't know how many of you are counting the years of your parents or counting the years of your grandparents and thinking about all the years that they've accumulated and all the work that they did and all the pension that they get and all of the money that they put in their 457B deferred plan, counting the years just waiting. Well, you know, I'm thinking about my inheritance. Hopefully, you're not thinking like that. But nevertheless, think about how much greater inheritance we have in Christ Jesus. We have an inheritance from God. We are made to be meat, to be partakers. Of the inheritance of the saints in light, who have delivered us from the power of darkness, we have thankfulness, we can be thankful for that. Delivered from the power of darkness, we've been reading in Romans, and in Romans, we see that there's tribulation and anguish according to Romans, the second chapter, verses 9 through 11, to all those that are disobedient, all those that have fallen short of the glory of God, unrepentant, not putting yet on Christ Jesus. But look at these promises, He has delivered us. From the power of darkness, he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We can be thankful. It's through our giving of thanks. Hebrews, the 13th chapter, our sacrifice of praise to God continually, not just when we're here together on the Lord's day, but on Monday, Tuesday, all the way through the rest of the week with our family, our coworkers, our friends, being able to give thanks unto the Lord. So that they can say amen as well. So they they can ask of the hope that is laid in us with all, And we can give them answers with all meekness and fear. Thinking about what God has done for us. It's this inheritance that we're waiting on, church. We need to be thankful for that inheritance. If we're thankful for that inheritance, we're certainly going to act like it. We're certainly going to live like it. I remember back what Colossians, the third chapter, verse number 17 would say. That whatever we do in word or deed. We do in the name of the Lord Christ Jesus and giving thanks unto God through and by him. It's in our lives that we're able to win souls to Christ by our giving of thanks. Nevertheless, as we conclude, we look at the Bible and what it says in first Peter, the second chapter pertaining to this inheritance and first Peter, the second chapter pertaining to this inheritance. by 1 Peter, the second chapter, I meant 1 Peter, the first chapter, looking at verse number two in 1 Peter one, verse two. As Peter is writing to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the father, through the sanctification of the spirit unto the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But he's gotten begotten us where to an inheritance that is incorruptible. It's undefiled and it fades not away. And this inheritance is reserved for you in heaven's glory. He was saying verse five. These things are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation Ready to be revealed in the last time. There is a great day coming. There's a great day coming, and it's that judgment day. I remember what the Bible would say in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, at verse number 27, it's appointed every man wants to die, but after that is the judgment. Death is not the end all be all, because there's a judgment coming to the soul, where all things will be brought to light. We must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everything that we do in this body, must be taken into account. But when we're properly thankful unto God, when we're properly giving God His glory, we remember what He has done for us. According to Colossians, the first chapter, verse 12, He's made us meet to be partakers of that inheritance. According to Colossians, the first chapter, verse 13, He has translated us into that darling uh, or that kingdom of His darling Son. And According to Colossians 1 and verse 14, he has given us the redemption and the forgiveness of sins that comes only through Christ in his blood. When it comes to Christ and his blood, you may ask, where did Christ shed his blood? He shed his blood at Calvary's cross, not for anything that he did, but according to being thankworthy. He was thankful unto his father. So he lived a life that was sinless, according to first Peter, the second chapter, verse 22. But it is thankworthy when we look at his sacrifice, when we look at his life, how it was sinless. He went to the cross. Certainly, he went about doing good, like feeding 5,000, then again feeding 4,000, then again healing the blind. He also healed the leopard, and we just saw that case study in Luke, the 17th chapter. Doing a world of good. This man, Christ Jesus, did the greatest thing he could have ever done for us by ushering in this New Testament, ushering in this new regime of life. How that we can have the promises of eternal life. Those things, First Peter, the first chapter at verse 5 and 6, are reserved for us in heaven. Against that great and notable day. But nevertheless, they're reserved for those who love the Lord, they're reserved for those who are thankful unto him, the reserve for those who obey the gospel of his son. This man Christ Jesus came into this world, went about doing good, he went to Calvary's cross, he was denied of man, even his own kindred, they would deny him. His own apostles who were there with him for about three years would scatter once that shepherd. Was smitten, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, according to Isaiah the 53rd chapter, verse 5 and following, were on him, and by his stripes we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. Well, why? Because he shed his blood for us. We are healed, even more so than the physicality of leprosy. We are healed from our sins. Having leprosy doesn't in and of itself Put you in eternal damnation. But a sinful soul, unrepented, does. There's a great day coming. I believe that is our song of invitation. There's a great day coming. Certainly, there's a great day where we'll be able to reap those eternal promises that are reserved for us in heaven, but there's also a day of judgment that is coming. And that day of judgment, all things will be brought to light. Those souls that have not yet obeyed the gospel. It will be everlasting too late. Don't let it be too late. We need to hear that gospel. We need to hear what Christ did in shedding his blood. That blood gives us the redemption, that, 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 that atonement, right? We have faith in his blood. We're justified, according to Romans, the fifth chapter, verse nine, by his blood, that through faith in him, we can have life and life everlasting. We need to hear that glorious gospel. We need not, need not to just hear the facts, but we need to hear the commandments associated with the gospel. Jesus in his resurrected glory in Mark, the 16th chapter, verse 16, said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We need to be baptized, not in any old church, not in any old church I just found on Google, not in any old church I just found in the encyclopedia. We need to be baptized in that one church. That's the one church that you can find in your body and in the Bible, rather. And that's the church of Christ. It's the body of Christ, according to what the brother read before the Lord's Supper in Ephesians, the first chapter at verse 22 and 23. Christ is the head of that church. That church is his body. We need to be a part of that one church. He shed his blood for it. He purchased it. Acts 20 and verse 28. And we need to be a part of it. That church is synonymous with that kingdom that you see in Colossians, the first chapter at verse 13. You've got to hear the gospel. Hear what Christ Jesus has done for you. Hear how he suffered, bled and died. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. On the third day, he arose by the spirit of holiness. This man, Christ Jesus, is the ruler and the Messiah. That's what Peter would explain in Acts, the second chapter, verses 36 through 38. When those individuals would stop him mid-sermon, asking him, men and brethren, what must we do in order to be saved? It's a salvation issue. We're talking about what one needs to do to be saved. Got to hear the gospel. You got to believe it. According to Acts, the 15th chapter, at verse 7. According to Mark, the 16th chapter, at verse 16. You have to believe it with all your heart. According to Romans, the ten chapter, at verse 9 through 10. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth... Confession is made unto salvation. You have to come confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the only thing that the Ethiopian eunuch would confess over in Acts 8 chapter with Philip. He didn't confess all the things that he had done wrong. Certainly, we have that opportunity to confess our sins, according to James the fifth chapter, verse 16, and we can pray for one another. But nevertheless, all you have to confess is that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You hear the gospel, you believe it, you come confessing, you come repenting of your sins in the Bible at Luke 13 and 3, it says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. We must repent and be converted, not repent and say we did something wrong and just report all the wrong we did and go back to doing it again. We change our mind and change our life. Mark, Matthew, the third chapter, at verse eight, we bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. You hear the gospel, you believe it, come confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, you repent of your sins and you go down in the watery grave of baptism. Why? Because we're baptized into his death. Just according as we're baptized into his death, we can be raised to walk in the newness of life where we can reign with him. According to 2 Timothy, the second chapter, verses 11 and 12, we can reign with him in this life and in the life to come. It is very important that we obey that gospel before it's everlasting too late. I believe the song of invitation is that there's a great day coming. There's a great day coming. So let's live faithful until that day comes. Revelation, the second chapter, at verse 10, so we can receive that crown of life That is laid up for us in heaven's eternal glory. Let us not be caught at a guilty distance against God when that day comes. But let's be found in his kingdom. Let's be found in his son's body. Let's be found in his church. That is the church of Christ. Let us come and sing and sing the song of the Savior's invitation at this time.